This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.com for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House Global InsureTech Series. I'm Nick Hoadley, and each week you can join me as I interview leading InsureTech executives from around the world. We will be learning about the different InsureTech technologies and finding out how they can be a benefit to both insurance brokers and carriers when it comes to delivering for your customers. We'll also be learning about the different career opportunities available to insurance leaders within the InsureTech space and what benefits that can give to your career. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I'm joined by Sean Harper, who is the co-founder and CEO at Kin Insurance. Kin Insurance is a home insurance business based in Chicago, and it's a pleasure to welcome Sean to the show today. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sean, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Really looking forward to hearing more about your experience in your career and the great work that you guys are doing there at Kin. So before we start with our question today, do you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit more about your background and what led to you starting and co-founding Kin Insurance? Yeah, for sure. So I started Kin about five years ago and my co-founder Lucas and I have really similar backgrounds in that, you know, we, we grew up programming as kids and so we've always been nerds. And you know, we, we both started uh, as management consultants. So I was at BCG and he was at Accenture. And it's it's a great job, right? Because you get to go to these big companies to see all these problems and, and also gain a lot of confidence by solving them. Um, and you know, one of the things that I found really valuable about that experience was you realize a lot of these big companies, like they do not know entirely what they're doing, right? And so it really teaches you to question and say, oh, we, even if they've been doing it the same way for 100 years, there likely is a better way to do it. So I took that experience and I spent a couple of years working at a VC firm, you know, which, which was a really good learning experience too. And, and then I just started starting companies. And my first one was an e-commerce company and it was, it was pretty small scale, it was bootstrap, but you know, we, we got it onto the Inc 500. It grew, you know, from nothing into a real company with real employees. And it was, it was really fun. I was hooked. And in that business, you know, we were super scrappy. Like I wrote every line of code uh, ever <laughs> it was used in the business and it was just a very uh, grassroots kind of business. And coming out of that, I started my next business, which was a payment processor and did that for a while. I sold it to a public company. I stuck around at the public company for a while to, to basically run that business within them. And while I was doing that, I realized that fintech was just a really great fit for my skill set because I also had a degree in economics and I really love economics and finance. And you know, I'd, I'd done some internships at investment banks and, and, and I also really love technology. And if you look inside a bank or insurance company, you'll realize like these are actually software companies. Everything's done on the computer, right? It's a virtual good. It's, there's no physical thing. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them aren't very good at software. And, and there are a bunch of reasons for that that we can get into, but we just saw this as an opportunity to make people's lives better. You know, finance is a huge part of people's lives. Um, that was true of payments. It's also true of insurance, what we're doing right now. Yeah. And it's an area where um, the incumbent players have a really hard time keeping up with what state of the art with respect to technology. And so coming out of that last, the payments business, we were just looking for 
is there another line of financial products that meets these criteria? We wanted something that was a big homogenous market. We wanted to play a meaningful role in many people's lives. Yeah. We wanted something that was inefficient from a cost perspective because you know that's something we know we know that we can automate things and make them cheaper. <laughs> like and, and you can do that on day one, right? If you've if you've written the software the right way. And then three, we wanted something where there were new data sources available for pricing and underwriting that as we got into it and accumulated the right data could allow us to price differentially. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up in homeowners insurance. It meets all those criteria. In the US, homeowners is a well over $100 billion market. It is inefficient from a cost perspective. If you look at expense ratios for homeowners insurance, stayed pretty uh, constant in the mid 30s at a time when the price of every other financial product is going down, right? The cost to trade a stock has gone down to do a wire transfer, cross-border remittance, et cetera. It's all, it's all gone down a lot and the expense ratios have stayed the same. Even worse, in the last 20 years, the average price of homeowners insurance has doubled. That's really going in the wrong direction. So we saw that as an opportunity. And then finally, all you have to do is, is type your address into a search engine. You can see there's tons of data out there. There's government records have gone online. There's all this aerial and satellite street level imagery that you can make use of if you, if you can train an image recognition algorithm. Real estate industry has gone online. It just creates all. And of course, what you see in a public search engine is just the tip of the iceberg. So, so that's what got us fired up about it. And you know, thing more or less have stuck to that pattern. You know, we realized when this nice when this happens, you know, we we realized right off the bat when we started marketing the product that people really did want a better solution. They wanted something that was direct to consumer, that was tech forward. And uh, and we've been doing that for five years and, and we'll probably be doing it for, for a lot longer than that. Thank you, Sean. I think it's always great to get an insight into our guest's background ahead of the questions today and it, it seems like a very a very successful path to where you've got to now and looking forward to hearing more about the business in its current state and what your plans are for that before we get into that though sean as we are in the insurance coffee house today can i ask you what your go-to coffee of choice is in the morning what gets you ready to work <laughs> well so um obviously like many other people i'm just drinking coffee at at home in my kitchen these days <laughs> And uh, the brand that I really like is is a local brand actually from from where I grew up in Wisconsin called Altera Coffee. And I, I make it here in my Mister Coffee drip coffee machine. It's not fancy, but but yeah. it, it's what gets me going. It sets you up for that commute into your into your office down the down the hallway into your office, right, all the way to the dining room where my desk yeah, is. Yeah, all the time. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, I'd like to kick off by asking you about the business at the moment very eloquently described how you how you set up and what the reasoning was behind that where is the business at the moment and what are your plans for the future over the next couple of years yeah so in terms of size we're still very small you know we talked about how this is a hundred billion dollar market you know we we will do about a hundred million dollars of premium this year uh we're growing very fast you know that will be four times the amount of premium that we did last year approximately and uh you know, so but but it's you know it's still just a a drop in the bucket compared to the whole the whole market, um, and we're we're doing that actually um, in only three states, and so the three states that we're in right now are Florida, uh, Louisiana. So we just got hit by a, a hurricane, which is has been interesting, and in California, 
And we recently closed, or now we, we have not yet closed on, but we recently, we are in the process of closing on an acquisition to acquire another set of insurance licenses, which will get us into a few more states. But, you know, Kin is really focused. We're really focused on doing less things and doing them better. And so a lot of people ask us, how many states are you in? And they're surprised if we say only three. So, well, you know what? These states, first of all, those states are really big, right? Those those three states, uh, that's a $20 billion market. Just those three Large states. countries. Some of those, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're as large as, as countries. That's absolutely right. And they're also as different as countries. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, the consumer preferences are different a little bit in these places. The laws are different. The risks you're exposed to are different. The competitive dynamics are different. And, and so really, like, we think it pays off to really specialize yeah. and go super deep in one market before going on to the next. Yeah. And I, we were just talking about those, you just mentioned the hurricanes down there in Louisiana, which we've experienced earlier this week, terrible tragedy that's going on down there. You've had the wildfires in, in California earlier this summer and, you know, just completely different climates and completely different risk profiles, I imagine. So having that, that specialism, I'm sure really helps. Do you take on the risk there? at kin or obviously is there reinsurance in play or or who who are the risk holders there absolutely so so we have we have a little bit of an interesting structure and the first part of that is that kin actually is not an insurance company we manage something called a reciprocal exchange which is owned by our customers and that reciprocal exchange is called the kin interinsurance network which are into words it's an acronym it's a recursive acronym because that's also kin you know kin and that that that's actually the entity that has a credit rating that buys the reinsurance that has the that's admitted with the state and and we basically take in the tech company that our investors have invested in they manage that business on exchange uh, on the behalf of our customers in exchange for a fee and so that's that's a really cool model because it allows the customers to to sort of benefit when that you know exchange does well and it allows our investors to really, they wanted to invest in this tech and services business that really isn't exposed to the, the, the ups and downs of the weather in the same way. And it allows them to sort of invest in that more stable, like fee generating business. Mm. Then of course, the exchange, it's owned by the customers, right? So they, they don't, we really don't want to put it at a lot of risk. So the exchange buys tons of reinsurance. And the idea behind the way we buy reinsurance is we really want to try to hedge as much of the catastrophe risk as we can. And it's, we'll do that. It has like a, a very, very low retention relative to, uh, to the amount of premiums that it's, that it's generating. And, but, but most of the day-to-day risk, it actually wants to keep because we, we know that these are good risks that we're originating. I think it's a little bit different approach than some of the other insure techs that have really done these really big quota shares. And, um, and that's because we, you know, we, we know that we're pricing it accurately and we believe, you know, very strongly in the way that we're operating it. And, and we really don't, we don't want to reinsure that off the day-to-day risk. We prefer to keep it because it's profitable, but, but at the same time, we, we really do want to reinsure these big, you know, the, the hurricane, for example, you know, the exchange is small. It's not set up to absorb those. Now it'll become bigger over time. It'll start to buy less reinsurance and, and that's, you know, sort of the evolution that it'll take. You talk about the policyholders sort of having a, a benefit and ownership of the risk in, of, of the business. Would you describe it, and excuse me for this terrible, terrible 
set up here would you describe it akin to a mutual or is that is that not accurate yeah it's it, it has some similarities so you know, if you think about there's sort of three forms of insurance company in the us there's a stock company which is owned by investors and operated by the investors and then you have mutual over here which is owned by the policyholders and operated by a management that's appointed by the policyholders and in the middle you have a reciprocal exchange which is owned by the policyholders and managed by an outside company and so there's like some companies that people actually think about as mutuals actually are reciprocals. Yeah. So a few good examples of those are farmers is a reciprocal or they're the manager of a reciprocal. USAA is uh, a bunch of the triple A's are. Yeah. And so it's just a, it's a really good structure, but it's sort of, it, 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 it does have a lot of similarities to a mutual. Yeah. Fantastic. And what do your products do? What does your service provide to the policyholders as a benefit and how have you gone around uh, developing that? Yeah. So, so we, we do homeowners insurance and other sort of property insurance lines. So we'll do, you know, condo insurance and manufactured home and landlords insurance, flood insurance is big for us. So we're really insuring buildings. And a lot of the tech that we built is really around automating and understanding really well, the physical properties of a building and how resistant they're going to be to the weather. Because that's really the, the the main risk that we're insuring is just that, you know, something bad happens in the weather and it, it knocks your roof off or floods your home or whatever. And uh, and so so we we also tend to focus, you know, we talked about the states that we're in, and that's also true of the states that we will be going in. They do tend to be some of the areas where the weather is more volatile. And that was important to us as entrepreneurs, first of all, to be sort of getting ahead of it, because the reality is that the weather is getting worse everywhere. And in some places it's happening earlier than others, but at the rate that we're going, it, you know, everywhere is going to be catastrophe exposed, unfortunately. And this is, you know, part of sort of dealing with how society is going to deal with, with climate change is, is having really good insurance products that are accurately able to price and sort of take into account when buildings are built to be more resilient. So that, that was important to us. And then the other one is just simply as an entrepreneur, like we want to make things people want. <laughs> and insurance is something people, if I know, Ukin has two offices. We're, we're based in, in St. Petersburg, Florida and Chicago, Illinois. Here in Chicago, where I live, we really don't think about insurance that much. Mm-hmm. And, and that's because we don't have that volatile of weather. And, and so it's not that interesting to provide insurance here versus you know our other office in St. Petersburg, people who live there, they think about it a lot more, obviously, just because the weather is more volatile there. It's a bigger part of their day-to-day life. And so you know, we, we really find it very meaningful and important to be able to provide insurance to the people who need it the most mm-hmm. and to provide a really good, low-cost, easy-to-use, clear, consumer-friendly, tech-driven insurance product you know, to, to people who live in areas where it is harder to get insurance I mean, and it is more expensive. Do you see yourselves when you're obviously competing against some of the large PNC insurers in the country, do you see yourselves as being able to help out the customers, the policyholders in those higher risk areas who those larger conglomerates may not want to insure or may attach very high premium rates to those policyholders? Is that where you really feel you had the most benefit? Yes, that, that's right. So, you know, our, our model is a better model everywhere. You know, it's it's lower cost because, uh, you know, we've automated things that are done manually. 
at a like insurance company. And, and a big part of that is Kin is a direct to consumer business. And so we, you know, eliminate the cost mm-hmm. that's associated with a retail agent, which yeah. if you add up sort of all, not just the commission, but also, you know, bonuses and field sales, et cetera, the cost of that agent force is like 17% of premium on average for homeowners in the U.S. And that's, that's pretty meaningful. You think about a two, our typical customer for us might have a $2,000 policy. So that means the agent is getting paid 350 bucks a year. I think a lot of people would rather just save the money. Cost of acquisition for that. Right. Yeah, it's very high, especially if you think about how sticky homeowners is. You know, people will keep their homeowners for 10 years. And so then that $35, that $350 a year, it's actually 3500 bucks mm-hmm. over the whole course. That's that's a really big deal. So we think the model works better everywhere, but it is absolutely true what you said, which is that in, in these areas where insurance is harder to get, some of these big insurance companies that everyone recognizes have pulled back and they continue to pull back. And, and that creates a really important opportunity for us. And if you think about, so taking a step back, I think the biggest problem that the insurance industry has is in their ability to respond to changes because these are all big companies. They, they've been around for, our average competitor has been around for 107 years and they're used to doing things a certain way. And so it's really hard for them to change, to respond to a change in consumer preferences. But guess what? Consumer preferences have changed a lot. People don't go into stores anymore to buy physical things. So why would you go into an agency to buy a virtual thing? That doesn't make any sense. You know, second technology has changed a lot, right? And you look at some of these companies, they're running on sort of either server-based tech from 30 years ago or mainframe-based tech from 50 years ago. It's just harder to be efficient if you're running on tech that's three, four, five generations old. And they've had a hard time responding to the change in the environment, the weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think a lot of the times they look at the volatility and they're like, ah, can't be here. And you understand it because they're they're big and they're not trying to grow. And for them and their shareholders, I think are really attracted to sort of the stability of the, you know, getting their dividend every year. And so they don't, they don't, they don't really need to be exposed there. But that does create a really big problem for the people who live there. And our society does not function without insurance. You need insurance to get a mortgage, to buy a home. And these are actually some of the biggest states in the country. And also, this is kind of funny, some of the fastest growing states. Absolutely, absolutely. You need to see an opportunity there where the traditional risk appetite for those insurance companies, obviously being very vanilla, but that probably being quite a very small part of the population in years gone by, as that pool gets larger and larger, there's more opportunity or more agile, more fast-paced, more automated businesses like yours. Can, can, you, can you see that having a bit big impact on sort of the insure tech community as a whole? Yeah, we think so. So just thinking about the these areas that are more catastrophe exposed, that right now is about 40% of the market and it's growing. So it's not a small niche, but this is a $40 billion niche that we're talking about, more than $40 billion. And growing. It's growing because the weather's getting worse and more places are becoming climate exposed. It's growing because they're actually pretty nice places to live. So people that live there tend to have pretty fancy houses. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, And it's also growing because people are moving to those areas because, you know, there's a lot of really nice things about them. Like, you know, especially, you know, in the winter, Florida is pretty awesome. It's a lot better than up here in Illinois. Uh, And so, um, 
So, so we we think that more and more places will be. It's a big market. It's one that's getting bigger. And the other thing is the skills that we're getting. You know, all of the stuff that our tech does, right? We talked about this a minute ago. Is about understanding the physical properties of the home and how they're impacted by the weather. And that's a useful skill. Ever, it's just more impactful in places where the weather is more volatile. So the analogy that I would use is like if you're a really great stock trader. You want to trade like the tech stocks that are going up and down and crazy. That's where that's that's what you you do. You're not going to trade the utility stock that's sort of like this all the time. So, for us, we'd rather be in those areas where getting the property details exactly right, getting the pricing exactly right, getting the underwriting exactly right is a is a much bigger competitive advantage than it is in other places. Absolutely, and you talk about the technology and automation that can help bring those efficiencies. Is that something that you partner with other insured techs on for for some of that data and some of those tools, or are they things that you have in house there? It's mostly in house. So our, our software, you know, there's really sort of group our software to sort of two separate sets of systems. The first is the policy admin system. This is like the core processing system that's at the heart of every insurance company. Um, that's something we built on our own. We think that's very important. I, I I don't understand how you could not want to control the details of that. It's such an important part of the business. And then the other the other bit of software that we've written is really the data infrastructure, because you know we're 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 ingesting all of this data, we're manufacturing all of this data, we're extracting structured data from unstructured data points, and this is something that we're doing, you know, at, at a very very large scale at this point. That's all custom developed as well. So what do, what types of stuff do we outsource sometimes? We will buy data from other insure techs. And there's some insure techs out there that have really interesting data sources that especially when combined mm. with other data sources, give you a really awesome full picture of the home. So you're like, we'll buy, we'll buy data from other companies sometimes. And, uh, and there's some really good, you know, insure tech data companies out there. And, and they, they like us because we're quick to adopt stuff. Yeah. Versus some of their other potential customers are these, you know, super old companies that have they, they have a really long adoption cycle. And I think one of the issues in insurance actually is this chicken or an egg, mm-hmm. where if you're starting a tech company that wants, and this isn't what we do, but if you're starting a tech company that wants to sell to the industry, the industry is a really hard one to crack because their adoption is so slow, mm-hmm. right? You'll hear people complain about, oh, yeah. We but we started a proof of concept with X and X big insurer two years ago. Like still haven't gotten a real order yet, and that is just death to a venture back startup, right? Because we operate like we only raise money 18, 24 months at a time. Mm. So if it's going to take you twenty four months to get you know from proof of concept to adoption with a customer, it kind of blows up the whole equation. I think that's a great point about how that can only benefit the insure tech community and other businesses like yours where the suppliers then of that data and of that technology will prefer to want to partner with people like yourselves who are going to adopt that technology and move with it and and, and grow with it as opposed to yeah those two-year sales cycles which by the time they're signing on the dotted line that that technology or that data is obsolete and so i think that could give yeah, a lot of companies a real good competitive advantage which i think will make things very interesting Sean, it brings us nicely on to our espresso round. There's the questions are short, sharp, and straight to the point. So, Sean, can I ask you, are you ready for espresso round? Let's do it. Let's do it. The espresso round. 
Sean, what would you say is the percentage of your employees who are from an insurance background compared to a, a non-insurance background in their careers? I think it's about a quarter are from an insurance background. Fantastic. And what do you see as the benefit that someone with a high-performing insurance career or a career maybe working with a carrier, working at a broker could, could bring to an organization like yours? Yeah. So, uh, so obviously, we, we have to hire for specific domain experts, like our claims department. They all have a background in old insurance. Our actuarial department, same deal. Although we do, we do recruit a, a lot of people for the actuarial department from straight out of college, and then we sort of train them in our way, which is which is a good thing. But so part part of it is just domain expertise and understanding. And you know, we're we're fortunate in finding a really great insurance leader, you know, early, pretty early on, and she's built an incredible team. The other thing, though, that a lot of people don't realize is there are, I mean, people at this podcast probably do realize it. There are a lot of really, really smart people working at insurance companies. And they would do amazing in, in a bunch of them. They do great at a tech company. They do great at a, at a bank. They do great in all kinds of different contexts just because they're really smart people. But a lot of the really smartest, most dynamic, most capable people from the insurance industry are really annoyed at their current workplace because the technology does not allow them to practice their craft mm-hmm. at the level that they want to. And so that's sort of our value proposition is like, hey, come here. You'll sit right next to the software engineers. They will make stuff as fast as you can come up with it, and it'll be really fun. And so, you know, for for the right people, that's I think a pretty good deal. And and it's it's funny though because like you, it's sometimes hard to tell the difference between like an actuary and a software engineer. Like you know, it's kind of the same personality, right? Like super into their craft, yeah, brilliant, uh, work really hard. It's like they, a lot of a lot of the ones at our company have these big beards, so it's, it's just kind of fun. It's great to see them working so closely together as well, and I I, I know that um, yeah, we, we we often talk about people from the insurance industry maybe. Uh, lacking some skills, lacking some speed, but actually it's, it's not them. Most of the time, it's not them. It's the processes, it's the technology that's at their disposable. And and you're right there. There's a lot of very frustrated people out there who want to be working at a much faster pace. And I'm sure that's something you can provide them. What would you say are the personalities that best suit working for a business like yours compared to working for one of those corporate companies? It's really important at Kin that we are, so our two core values for employees are one, you have to run through walls. And, you know, just because something, if something is hard, that actually makes, we should be more attracted to it. <laughs> like, Cause the hard things are where the value is created. And so I, I think a lot of the times people just, you know, these bigger companies, they, it, the inertia of it is so hard. Mm. And they're also not necessarily incentivized in a way that makes you want to run through that wall, right? The wall is thicker. And also you maybe are, don't care as much. You know, again, every every employee has equity, and we really want people running through these walls, solving the hard problems. The other one is to be chill with each other. And one thing that we've heard from some of our employees who come from these bigger companies is they become very political. And you know, people don't necessarily treat each other, you know, in a sort of an honest and empathetic way as much. And so for us at Kin, that's really important as we grow, is just that we're, you know, we're really treating each other. Uh, you know, very well, and that we're not being political. We're not allowing that sort of craft to build up within the organization. Right. And what are the opportunities that you can provide there to high-performing individuals, to high-performing talent? Yeah. I mean, you know, you come here and you look around and 
pick up problems and you just solve them. And no one's going to get in your way. No one's going to tell you, hey, don't do that. You know, hey, you know, oh, sorry. IT's backlogged for two years. You know, it's it's a really fun place to work, but but you have to want to hustle because it is intense. And, uh, you know, we are very, very passionate about solving this problem for customers. And we really don't want it very much to get in our way. Mm. So if you're that kind of person, it I think it is really fun. I think most people it can... Uh, yeah, we do a lot of our HR department's really great. And they do a lot of sort of like engagement surveys and stuff like that. And and you know, I, I think people for the most part are are very happy here, you know, and, and it's not because our perks are awesome, they're okay. <laughs> it's it's because they really do get to practice their craft at, at you know with with as few impediments as possible. Awesome. Man. But brings me nicely on to our last question in the espresso round. There are any insurance leaders out there at the moment in the US sort of considering their next opportunity and they're considering working for a tech company, making that transition from a large corporate. What would your advice be to them? I think the cultural, the thing that we've learned is the cultural differences are greater than the technical differences between these organizations. And, you know, a lot of the times, so I'll say this, most of our hires from legacy industry have worked out great. When they haven't worked out well, it's because they show up and they don't want to get their hands dirty. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they haven't gotten their hands dirty in 20 years. And they have this whole team and minions, like they really just do this one one thing or they just supervise people. And that that just doesn't fly here. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it can, we really take it seriously that the person with the most information is making the decision. So we don't have a whole lot of that, like, oh, let me go ask my boss, uh, sort of stuff. And I, th- I think that can be really hard for people who are used to operating within that sort of hierarchy to, to find themselves without it. You know, maybe to have to do things on their own that they used to have people for, you know, to really get into the details and understand it. I think that's, I think that's the toughest. Yeah. So if there was someone out there now who's looking at making that transition do you think there's anything they should be doing now in order to prepare themselves? I mean, like that scenario that you just gave, they're sort of getting their hands dirty, get getting down with things. Do you think there's anything they can be doing now in order to prepare themselves for that? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think it just sort of comes down to like if you're if you're the kind of person who really likes being a middle manager mm. and not getting into the details and not you know just being a middle manager, you you probably shouldn't join a company like ours. Uh, if you're somebody who you know, is good at managing people, but is also like nuts and bolts expert of their domain and understands everything down to the tiniest, tiniest detail and can teach it to other people. Mm. Uh, then I, th- I think you'd be really great for a company like ours. Um, and, and I don't know, I don't know that there's any, if you're the former kind of person, it's really hard, I think, to turn yourself into the latter kind of person. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's very important considerations to be made. I think you know, sometimes people from within the industry think it'll be a fantastic move for them, but actually they need to have a, a long, hard look and maybe ask questions to peers, ask questions to people already in the industry to find out exactly, you know, with, would it suit their skill set and would it suit their, their personality before they do go ahead and make that jump. Sean, we've almost reached the end of our time together today. Time has certainly flown by. Do you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners? And if any of them like to reach out to you or to Ken after the show, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, I'm easy to find. I'm Sean at Ken.com. Ken.com is Ken like family. It's uh, I'll tell you the story about the domain name another time, but it was not easy to get. And 
so yeah, we're, we're, we're here and advice to me, the most important thing is to, you know, just maintain beginner's mind and beginner's mind is this, you know, concept of really taking nothing for granted and starting to think about every problem from a blank sheet of paper. And that was a lot of what I learned when I was management consultant is people often get really tied to the way things have always been done. And you end up sort of over-optimizing yourself, but at a local optimization. And if you were able to zoom back a little bit and say, hey, how should this work? Take nothing for granted. Blank sheet of paper, how should it work? You'll often come up with a really different answer. Fantastic. Thank you, Sean. I think that's great advice indeed. And that would be great advice, not only for our insurance listeners, but to a lot of the InsureTech leaders out there as well. Sean, thank you so much for joining us in the Insurance Coffee House today. Really appreciate having you on the show and thank you for all the advice and learnings that you've given us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Thank you. To all the insurance and insure tech leaders out there, wherever you are listening around the world today, we thank you for tuning in and I'm sure you would have gained a lot of valuable insights and learning from our guest today. If you did enjoy the show, please remember to download and subscribe to the pod to receive each one of our episodes directly into your app each week. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show or would like to learn more about the competitive advantage that podcasts can give to your business when attracting talent, please reach out to us at insurance-search.com or drop us a message on LinkedIn. Until next time, I've been Nick Codley. This has been the Insurance Coffee House Global InsureTech Series. Take care. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.